Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast. Join Corbin and Alan, along with guest hosts, as they bring their love for the cinema to discuss films from every genre and decade. Learn about the history of the film, little-known facts, and insightful explorations while they enjoy discussing your favorite film. The curtain is rising and your podcast is starting. So sit back, relax, and enjoy your guide to the silver screen. Welcome back, listeners, to the fifth and, I believe, final installment in my Die Hard movie review series. Today I am reviewing a good day to die hard. This is your host Corbin. If you haven't already checked out the description below, there are timestamps if you're ready to jump straight into the review or even my ratings and recommendation for the movie. Um, If you haven't already clicked subscribe, don't forget to click that as well. And no matter where you're listening, make sure to leave five stars. That is a great free way to help out the podcast. Now, if you haven't listened to your guide, to A Good Day to Die Hard. That came out last week. Go ahead and listen to that first so you can hear the production, the scores, the box office, everything about that movie proceeding to how it came to be, why it took so long to come out, what people thought of it when it did come out. And I can give you my thoughts of it when I first saw the movie. Your guide is the first link in the description below. So back in 2013, I was, I had just turned 18. I had just turned 18 just a few days prior because this came out a couple days after my birthday. I was a junior in high school. I'd graduate high school in 2014. And I thought these trailers looked awesome. I had no familiarity with the Die Hard franchise outside of, I think at that point I had seen the first movie with my cousin. I spoke about that a couple of reviews back. Go back and listen to my first review for the first Die Hard film. So I was excited. I was 18 at the time. I could go see rated R movies. I was ready to jump into the franchise and I thought, why not now? And we also had our um, shiny new IMAX theater that had been around for uh, not too long at that point. So it was my treat. I went and took my dad. I went and bought IMAX tickets. I did go matinee. Of course, I always try to go matinee to IMAX whenever possible to save some money. I really did think these trailers look exciting. Looking at them now, I still feel the same way. These are, I mean, they're just all action sequences, hardly any story, just enough of a teaser of a story to get you interested and think, yeah, this is looks like another very exciting Die Hard movie. So um, I forgot to mention in your guide to Die Hard, this wasn't just President's Day weekend. This was also straight up came up on Valentine's Day. And that's something that they advertised in the trailer. Uh, This is something I'll never quite understand, but it's kind of a thing to release action movies on Valentine's Day. Something to take your date to so she can cling on to you, I suppose. Um, They did the same thing with Deadpool, I remember, to incredible uh, success. This time around, I went for the extended cut because I saw the theatrical cut. I said, let's see if the extended cut does something different for me because I'll be honest listeners out of I was pretty mad actually going out of that movie I was mad that I I felt like I had wasted 20 bucks I had a fun time with my dad you know spending time with him but money was hard to come by in high school I wasn't you know rolling in the dough so I had just dropped you know with tax and everything over 20 bucks on these tickets for a movie I could have rented for a buck at Redbox and I just thought it was a really bad movie in general. Uh, The story made no sense. It was also really short, like I said. 
Um, this is a sub 90 minute movie. Um, if you don't stay for the credits, which I don't know why you would, there's nothing there. So yeah, it, it wasn't worth it for me. The theater was virtually empty. We nearly had a private screening and I was um, pretty frustrated. I just dropped 20 bucks on that, especially because I could have just waited a few months and used that 20 bucks to own the movie outright and watched it whenever I wanted to, which at that point was going to be never again. So for this go around, I did check out the extended cut and we'll be talking about that here in the review shortly. Well, listeners, if you haven't seen A Good Day to Die Hard, which I find to be a mouthful, and you don't want the film spoiled for you, it is currently streaming on HBO Max, the theatrical, and they also have the extended cut on there. Um, that's a little pro tip for you if you have HBO Max. It's a hint. Um, once you click on the movie, scroll down, and oftentimes they will have extended cuts of those movies if you want to check those out. The only problem is they won't be in your continue watching section, so you either need to watch it in one shot or you need to remember where you left off and be okay with fast forwarding it, which is what I had to do multiple times with this one. So spoilers ahead. If you don't want it spoiled for you, go ahead and check it out. It is available pretty easily to find on physical and digital versions of the movie. Well, the plot, I'm going to try and give you a really basic 30 second plot of it. We'll talk about it throughout the rest of the movie. But McLean goes to get his delinquent son in Russia. But surprise, he's actually a CIA agent who is there to save a political prisoner who secretly is the bad guy and takes out the Russian president who's been trying to kill him this whole time. And the bad guy nearly gets weapons grade uranium, but the McLean's duo stop him. That's about as much of a plot as I think there is or that I could even understand <laughs> from this movie. But let's start off positive. The opening of this movie plays much more like a Craig Bond film mixed with some Mission Impossible and even a little Born. Um, towards the end of the movie, it's completely fast and furious with him hanging out of the helicopter and driving a car out of it. And he's got his white t-shirt and bald head. Definitely a Vin Diesel move. There are even some major Taken vibes, and I'm not the only one that said this. Um, this replace Liam Neeson, replace the son with the daughter. This is um, very similar to Taken 2, I would say, where they go to Budapest. So in some ways, you can see they're trying to copy the movies of the time, the action movies of the time since Die Hard. There was a significant gap between Die Hard 4 and 5. But at the same time, this just doesn't feel like a diehard movie to begin with whatsoever. Um, the father and son relationship, the reunion feels very estranged. It's very emotionless. Uh, I'm not sure if this is uh, supposed to be a good thing or not. In the beginning, it, it probably is. There needs to be a little bit more emotion, though, I would say, because these two are very distant from each other. And it's very kind of mechanical and robotic how they interact throughout it. And, you know, it's a little sweet at the very end once Willa says, I love you, son, and they, you know, reunite or whatever their relationship. It's not a strong component of the movie, which really needed to be there. It's disappointing. Mary Elizabeth Winstead was in the last movie and did next to nothing, which I was a major mistake on the filmmaker's part. She is in the theatrical cut. She has three scenes in the theatrical cut. They are all deleted for the extended cut. Surprisingly, she's not missed in the extended cut. You wouldn't realize anything is missing. I didn't until I went back and looked it up and remembered, oh, yeah, she's in the movie. 
Um, she doesn't do anything. She should have been a major part. She's a phenomenal actress, and it's just sad that she's here. Jai Courtney is okay. I don't think he's anything special in pretty much any of his movies. Um, he's kind of this like fun, brutish presence, but he doesn't ever pull you in whatsoever. Probably the best part of this movie are the action sequences, particularly this car chase is very well shot. Um, I'm, I honestly will say it's probably one of the best car chases or in any movie, even in any fast and furious movie as well. Um, these car chases, the stunts they pull off, I don't know how they filmed some of it. It is phenomenal. I mean, I think Nolan with some of his car chases, like you think of Tenant and some other stuff, Fast and Furious. I think they owe a lot to this movie. And it should be said, Fast Five had already come out. So I think they outdo Fast Five with a lot of these car chases. I mean, it's a, it's awful because McLean is probably killing dozens of people in the process. But <laughs> I guess who cares, right? I, I know some people will find the car chase stuff over the top. It is over the top in a lot of ways, but you can have a lot of fun with it, and it is a pretty incredible spectacle to behold. They pulled off these practical stunts. So once they do get their, you know, political prisoner, he is taken hostage by the bad guys, and then the helicopter scene comes. I I remember distinctly sitting in the theater realizing we are over halfway through the movie, I think, at this point, and not very much has happened. Not Nothing of consequence has really happened. This is when you realize this movie is going for who gives a care 80s craziness because they just straight up jump out of a building and they have no idea what's on the other side and they crash through a ton of stuff with no broken bones no bruises, they just walk away from it like, I mean, honestly, if you did this in a video game, you would die. So this even goes beyond video game logic and physics, which is surprising. Speaking of video games, this is a video game. This is totally a video game. And I'll talk about that here more in just a second. But this is the point where I realize, oh, this is kind of a video game movie, actually. Um, more, more recently, Hobbs and Shaw. Actually, I think this one's a slightly more grounded than Hobbs and Shaw. That movie is a Saturday morning cartoon come to life. Um, there is some comedy to be found here, though. Um, there's a funny scene of them looking through trunks. Um, one is some small guns. The next one, I think this is actually exclusive to the extended cut, is like a dead body. And then finally, they find a trunk from these like, you know, rich Russians with some major weaponry. Uh, I thought that was funny. So at least they're bringing a little bit of brevity to it. Um all right, let's jump back into what I had to say about video games, uh, because this really is the crux of it all. This is Call of Duty Modern Warfare, the movie. Once they're at Chernobyl, and really the helicopter scene before it confirms it, um, these characters even have these similar Russian names. Call of Duty was huge at the time. I had been playing it very much nonstop, especially over the summer months. I loved Modern Warfare 2. This is essentially Call of Duty, the movie, where you run around shooting up the Russians, shooting up the bad guys, and you are just having a blast, and you don't give a care, and that's exactly what this is. And 
I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think it's fun to see this kind of stuff come to life. Um, you just have to realize you're watching a live action video game. You're not watching anything of real substance. And I mean, some video games have some incredible substance, but I'm talking about first person shooter type games. There's not really much of a story usually to those. And the other thing is at least they're shaking it up with the bad guy. I do miss the mastermind element and McLean playing off of the villain. That is just gone here. There is a mastermind. He has been duping them this whole time. Uh, he's been tricking them, but we don't ever get McLean playing off of that whatsoever. Speaking of McLean, he doesn't do much in this movie. He is really kind of just along for the ride, tour de force, doesn't figure anything out, doesn't really help solve anything. They're mostly just being the McLean father and son are being led around by the you know crook of their nose they're just being dragged around and they're being duped this whole time and the cia you know element is here and gone and that's disappointing because mclean is always trying to figure out the villain's plot he's always trying to stay one step ahead he's usually always one step behind but then you know it, it is always this kind of like competition of who can figure things out there's really nothing to figure out in this movie, unlike all of the other ones, there's really no compelling plot whatsoever to this. And if there is, I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't figure it out. So the opening of this movie is really mad. It's slowly getting to the courthouse. Uh, it's supposed to be building tension, but it's really not. We don't, We I guess we're supposed to assume McLean is there to find his son and kind of, you know, he's supposed to be the prodigal son, I suppose. McLean does say oftentimes, I'm on vacation. I, I didn't consider going to uh, Russia and upheaval a vacation to find your long lost son. That is weird. That line doesn't make any sense. This one more so than any of the other ones, you have to suspend disbelief. And I said that about the last one. These people don't break bones. They don't bleed to death. His son gets like re rebar or whatever it's called rebar in his side. And they just pull it out and they don't bandage it up. And they don't say anything else. They don't cauterize it. They don't pour anything on it to clean the wound. He doesn't bleed out either, even though it's this huge gash. Like I'm talking, you know, quarter inch gash in his body. It's crazy. Uh, okay, let's talk about the twist. I think it's fun that Kamarov is the bad guy. It was all a trick. It's played off fairly well. I never suspected anything. But it is more of an audience twist. What's the point of the trick? If everyone is in on it, except Alec, Alec is the, as much as we could get as a bad guy henchman in this movie outside of the president, Alec is the only one out of the loop. Why go through it all just to trick him? And who cares about tricking the McLeans? This is really strange. And this only shows you that they were doing this for the audience's sake, not because it makes sense whatsoever within the context of the plot. So at first, when I saw it in the theaters, like, oh, that's neat. But when you actually think about it, you realize it's completely nonsense. Um, and my biggest disappointment with this movie, it doesn't have the charm of the original one. I would say it doesn't even have the charm of two or three. The fourth one didn't quite have that charm. But it was still still somewhat there. Unfortunately, it's not here whatsoever. The beginning of this movie is almost nonsense to me. And that's just my, you know, stance throughout the rest of the movie. I'm not sure what's going on in the beginning. Um, Willis does make some of these chase sequences hokey 
He says incredibly goofy one-liners, incredibly dumb stuff. There are also no cops throughout this whole movie, pretty much, except maybe in one scene. There's some serious international terrorism, or I don't know, serious domestic terrorism going on in this movie, and there is no buddy in the government or police trying to figure any of this out. I guess it's just so corrupt, they don't care. That's uh, a little hard to believe. Of course, some of the dialogue is goofy. 30 minutes in, the movie is putting me to sleep. It does pick back up, but it's a pretty slow start to a movie with that doesn't introduce any sort of plot stakes to make you care about what is even going on. Uh, also, the bad guy's eating a carrot. Yeah, I just had to throw that out there. He is munching on a raw carrot, and it doesn't make any sense, and it's completely bizarre. There are a lot of cliches in this movie, such as the bad guy toying with his captives long enough for them to escape. It, Like I said, it is such a watery, cartoonish movie that you're just going to have to realize they're going to pull out every trope in the book and, you know, eschew logic just to get what they want. They also go to Chernobyl in the end, which I think is a fun setting for the end of the movie, a fun final confrontation. I really think you can't go to Chernobyl still. I thought they would die from radiation, especially because this was, you know, coming up on 10 years ago. So this is really surprising. Also, the CIA officer is pretty poorly trained. He just kills this guy that is doesn't have any weapons on him, doesn't have any way to defend him. He has him in his custody and he chooses to just throw him off a building. Pretty sure you can't do that or you should do that. It's I don't know. I get it. We want to see this bad guy, you know, justice serve. So he throws him off a building and there is a really awesome helicopter crash as they slow-mo fall through the building with the helicopter. It looks great. It looks really cool. Um, but ultimately, we have to come to the end of the movie. There are two different endings for this. In the extended cut, it closes on the sun rising of the Ukrainian city Chernobyl and father and son are just kind of walking off into the sunset, you know, re reunited in their friendship. It's okay. I'm not, it's kind of dumb, honestly. The theatrical is even cheesier. I, I'm not sure if which one I like better. The theatrical has the daughter reunited. For whatever reason, the mom is mentioned. He says, your mother's, you know, at least she'll feel better that you're in the CIA and you're not a Russian criminal. But nevertheless, it's Mary Elizabeth Winstead on the tarmac running to meet them. You know, the prodigal son has returned. They've returned. And it's really long shots of them walking in slow motion. You can't hear a thing. It's got generic music, completely generic music from a composer who I know doesn't do generic stuff. But, you know, he's doing five or six movies a year. Theatrical as cheesy as can be with that cut. And I think that also just pinned it for me how, man, this is just, this is not good. This is a baby movie. Ugh. But that being said, I'll probably go with the extended cut as it's more of a serious, more of a serious take. At least it tries to be, it feels a little bit tighter with plot pacing. Um, it feels a little bit more straightforward than this. And the ending is a little better than this kind of elongated, cheesy ending. Once you know what you're in for with A Good Day to Die Hard, you can enjoy it for what it is, a nonsensical, over-the-top action flick. Also, it helps not paying 20 bucks in IMAX tickets for it. This isn't a Die Hard movie, not really in the slightest. In fact, 
If it didn't have the name in the title or wasn't a part of the franchise, this may have been a little better received, but since everyone is judging on the merits of the franchise, it rightly has been harshly criticized. Objectively, this is a bad movie all around. Willis isn't good, no one else is good, the screenplay is abysmal, but the action and stunts are actually impeccably done. That may be the only reason to see this movie is for the action spectacle. If you want to see Call of Duty the movie, this is it. It has a lot of parallels to Modern Warfare 1 and 2. I actually had fun this time around with it because I like these silly action movies and I like the settings as well. There is also something to be said for how short this movie is. I feel like the other movies, particularly Die Hard 3, really overstayed their welcome and just got far too caught up in making this really kind of grandiose two-hour-plus action film. This movie really knows it doesn't have much going for it, so it just sticks to that 90 minutes, just kind of clocks it in there. A Good Day to Die Hard receives six stars out of ten with a weak recommend. And I mean, honestly, listeners, I don't know if I'll return to this one. I think if I am sick in bed, I don't want to think I'll maybe put this one on just because there's not much to it. And it's just kind of this exciting, silly movie. But would I pick it up or would I pass on it? You know, I've I'm on the record saying I just want to pick up the box set. So if this was standalone, if I if there wasn't a box set, then I probably wouldn't go out of my way to get this unless I found it for like a dollar. But if I'll pick it up in the box set and that'll be worth it. So other film or TV recommendations that I have for you to check out after this one, check out the Taken trilogy. I think you're going to have even more fun with those movies, which Alan and I did review. I'll link to the Art Taken reviews below. There's also the Hitman movie, the first one with Timothy Oliphant. I'll recommend the second one as well. They're pretty much on par with this movie. I'll say they're actually a little bit better as being these kind of over-the-top action movies. Those actually have a discernible plot and goal, whereas this movie really does not. And I'm going to be recommending anything after anything after Fast 4, Fast 5 and onwards. I think you're going to get a lot of the same action spectacle here. Those plots are probably, like I said, even more discernible as well. This movie really doesn't even have a plot. It's kind of shocking. <laughs> and my bonus is if you've got an Xbox or a PlayStation, check out Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. I love that game. I love that game so much. Um, there's also, I'm pretty sure in the first Modern Warfare game, a, a Chernobyl Um episode that you can play where you get to go play it with Chernobyl. You get to go hang out on the Ferris wheel, which is pretty fun. That's a great mission. Go ahead and check that one out. Well, there should be no surprise. It seems like the franchise is dead at this point, but Willis has said he wants to conclude the franchise and the character with a sixth film. He said that around the time the fifth one was releasing. Um, and it should be noted, like I said, this movie came out quite a while ago. It came out, well, yeah, it came out almost 10 years ago. So this isn't the longest time we've gone without a sequel. It should be noted be because between three and four, that was 12 years. And between four and five was over five and a half years. So we are coming up on the film's 10th anniversary next February. 
it's never too late. It's never too late as this is proved. So I can definitely see coming the studio returning for a Die Hard 6. I think they're really, really going to have to do something special with this. They're really going to have to do something right since Die Hard 5 was such a sour way to end the series for most people. I mean, for me included, like I said, don't get me wrong. This isn't anything, you know, amazing whatsoever, but it seems like it's killed the franchise, but I have a feeling we're going to get another one. I think what's going to happen is Fox is going to drop it on Hulu. That's honestly my guess is it's going to be a, a Hulu exclusive. So we're going to see if that prediction comes true. So as for my rankings of the series, well, it's probably not too, too surprising, but my number one is Die Hard, the original film. My number two is actually Die Hard 4, Live Free or Die Hard. Even though I gave Die Hard 3 a higher rating, I find Die Hard 4 to be much more watchable than Die Hard 3. So in third place is Die Hard 3. The first half of that movie is phenomenal. The last half just loses so much steam. It just totally messes up the movie. Um, in number four spot is going to be this movie. Die a good day to die hard is my number four pick. And then finally, the only movie in the franchise I didn't recommend die hard to die harder. I gave that a four out of 10. I really thought it was bad. I personally would never want to return to die hard to of all of these. I could see myself in the future, maybe, maybe someday coming back to this one. I will return to die hard Four. it's die hard four is a lot better than die hard five. And I'll definitely be checking out the original very frequently. And I really do want to give Die Hard 3 another shot. Well, listeners, the question after the show, is Die Hard 5 better than my least favorite Die Hard 2? Personally, I think this movie is better than Die Hard 2, but I know a lot of you will probably feel differently. So go ahead and comment no matter where you're at. And if you want to directly send me an email, it's silverscreenguide95 at gmail.com. That is in the description below, along with the question for you to look back over. Thank you, listeners, for coming along with me uh, with my review for A Good Day to Die Hard and the entire franchise. This rounds it out. Well, overall, yeah, I mean, I think this is a, if you look at my overall totals, my average, it's a fine franchise. It's an okay franchise. Overall, I give the franchise a six out of 10, all five movies on average. It's a, it's a mild push for the franchise. It's honestly better than what I was expecting. So <laughs> at least it exceeded my expectations. Next week, I will be coming back with the first Kingsman movie, The Kingsman, The Secret Service. We are going to finally be doing those movies. Alan and I were supposed to be doing them last year, but um, Fox, or should I say Disney, kept pushing back the third Kingsman so much that we really just said, you know what, we're going to wait until it's ready for home viewing um, because it's just not in the cards to get to see it for a theatrical release. So now it's streaming on HBO Max and Hulu. Um, so the Kingsman trilogy as of right now is readily available for you to check out. So before next week, before next Monday, go watch Kingsman, the secret service. There's also a graphic novel that is based on a comic series. So check that out as well. I'm going to be reading it and we're going to be talking about it and how it compares with the movie. So I'm curious to see how that goes. So thank you for listening. Thank you listeners for, um, coming along with me. If you haven't already clicked subscribe, go ahead and hit subscribe make sure to share with your friends and family. We love talking about movies and we love talking about them with you. So we'll see you next week with the Kingsman.
Hey listeners, it's Corbin. Don't forget to check out the exciting links in the description below that will connect you with more great movie reviews for your listening pleasure and our YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter page. And of course, our official website where you can read great articles and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. Also, if you want exclusive bonus content such as extra movie reviews, movie commentaries, and our thoughts on the latest movie news and trailers, plus more, then check out our Patreon page. It's a great way to help keep this show free, and it gives you great content that's yours to keep. All of that and more is found in the description below. Don't forget to subscribe whether you're on YouTube, Apple, Google, or Stitcher, or your favorite podcast service. And while you're at it, please leave us a five-star review so other movie lovers can more easily find our podcast. We love talking about movies, and we love talking about them with you. So don't forget to share with your friends and family, and we'll see you next week, listeners. The Silver Screen Guide podcast is edited and produced by Alan and Corbin. Intro and outro music is created by Thomas Rankin. The thoughts and opinions herein expressed are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those held by Silver Screen Guide. Silver Screen Guide is not affiliated with any company or individual involved with the creation of this movie or TV show. No portion of the podcast may be used without express written permission from Silver Screen Guide.